Uh, once again, good morning. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastoral interns at Cornerstone. Uh, today, I have the privilege and honor to share God's word with you this morning. So we're currently in a sermon series entitled Life Under the Sun, where we're actually going through the book of Ecclesiastes, where we're seeing what life would be. And as John Lennon would say, imagine no heaven, no hell, just eternity, just this life living for today. So the author of this book, in which we are calling him the preacher, is looking for life from a very practical, secular person looking for the meaning of life. So please stand as your act of worship of the reading and hearing of God's holy word. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. This is God's word. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take your seats. Let me pray for us once more. Father, we thank you for your love and grace where we can find it even in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, since all of Scripture points to Christ. Holy Spirit, we ask you to illuminate our hearts, open our eyes, and give us ears to hear so that in the preaching of your word, that it will show us ourselves and show us our Savior in Christ. We pray these things in your Son's precious name. Amen. Amen. The great revivalist of the 20th century, Billy Graham, used to look at college campuses of his day and he looked at the college students. He would observe the students' reactions and actually overhear the conversations. There would be times where he would be interacting with them, having conversations, just talking about how they're doing, what is college like, how is life. But you know what's interesting? He said that there was one word that can describe the college students of his day. One word. 
And the word he used was emptiness. Emptiness. Emptiness is a sense of lack of satisfaction that there's something deeply missing within this world. And when you look at people today, you actually sense that they are looking for a sense of purpose and pleasure in this life. But they are doing it in all the wrong places. They're looking everywhere in every way possible and seeking purpose and pleasure. But friends, the reality is the world which we live cannot offer it. And I'd like to ask you a question this morning. What do you seek pleasure in? What do you seek pleasure in? Why do you seek pleasure and why from this world? Think about it. What do you seek pleasure in? And the reason why I'm asking you these questions is because the pleasure is a big issue that many of us in this morning face. And some of you actually don't know that a pleasure is an issue in your life. And hopefully by the end of this message, you'll have at least an inkling feeling and knowledge that you do. You see, pleasure is something that you seek so you can find emotional or physical satisfaction. Pleasure is something that you can seek through finding fulfillment or achieving something. You see, you can find pleasure in sex. You can find pleasure in also looking at fine art. And you can also find pleasure in absolutely doing nothing and being idle. You see, everyone looks for pleasure in something. And the thing about pleasure is it's a problem, but it also has a lot of pointers. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's a problem because pleasure does promise you things. And it doesn't completely deliver on what it promises. That's why it's a problem. And ultimately, you find yourself emptier than you were before, just like those college students that Billy Graham was talking about. Yet it, has, it also has a lot of pointers in it because pleasure is not a means to an end, but it's pointing us to something far greater, which often many times for most of us in this room, we miss. You know, last week we heard Pastor Andrew preach talking about how the preacher tested wisdom to see if that was worth anything. But at the end, we found, we found out that it was vanity. It was meaningless under the sun. And in our passage today, we'll see the preacher testing now pleasure. Pleasures from this world. To see, is, is that any gain? Is that any worth? If wisdom is not it, maybe pleasure is. Maybe that is what purpose of life is. So let's start with verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to have your Bibles open as we're going to go along the passage just to be um, just to talk about it and hear God's word. So let me read it for us, starting with verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this is also this also was vanity. So the preacher says that there is no meaning in life. There is no meaning in the world, but let me test it. Let me test to see if that means anything. So we see that the preacher is living out this worldly life, and he embarks on this journey of experiencing pleasure from this world. And the preacher wants us to see if the meaning of life is simply found in enjoyment. So he starts by saying in verse 3, 
I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. So we see that he was a wine connoisseur. Um, he had top shelf. He had the best quality drinks. If you were to go to Wine and Spirits, you know the drinks that are in the, in the case or you can't get it, empty box. You would have to ask the manager to go in the back. That's the type of drinks that he had. I mean, it's actually very, import very important to note that the preacher was not intoxicated or drunk when he was indulging in wine. Because it's so easy for us to read that and be like, oh, cheer my body with wine. And we know that society today views, oh, to enjoy wine and to enjoy these beverages means for us to get intoxicated and to get drunk. But this is not what the preacher means because he's actually enjoying it and preaching, appreciating wine. So verse 3 tells us that he did it with wisdom still guiding him. So to enjoy wine does not mean to get drunk, but the preacher had the best of the best drinks. He appreciated it. He drinks all of it and he enjoys it to the fullest. So the preacher, hoping to cheer his body and his heart, was hoping to find meaning of life. He drank, drank wine. I mean, besides that, he also enjoys building things as we see in verse 4. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. So he starts doing projects and building things. And he doesn't just build one house, but he built many houses. And he also built many vineyards. And this is not for others, but it's very important to note that in the, in the, in the last part of verse 4, what does it say? For myself. He wasn't doing it for the people. He wasn't doing it for anyone so he can serve them. He was doing everything to serve himself so that he can indulge in these pleasures. But he was very thoughtful and he was very intentional about it. Because remember, he's testing pleasure. Since we see verse 3, what does it say? My heart still guided me with wisdom. That same wisdom that was guiding him to enjoy wine without getting, getting intoxicated. This is the same wisdom that allowed him to remember, you know, I'm not just enjoying this pleasure, but I'm testing pleasure. I'm trying to see what it means. He was very intentional and thoughtful about enjoying pleasure. He wasn't just doing it just to do it. And it's almost like a science experiment. You know, he was testing his hypothesis about pleasure. And his life of experience, experiencing pleasure was the test. And he goes on saying in verse 5 and 7, I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. And I bought many male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I mean, he had many servants. He probably got all of his needs taken care of with all the houses, vineyards, and gardens that he, need, he needs to be tended to because he not only had one house or one vineyard, but he had many. I mean, he also had servants to do all the labor work for him. I mean, he had the servants of all kinds of things to indulge in all types of pleasure and comforts that he delights in. I mean, he probably never even had to walk. He probably had people carrying him because that's how many servants he had for all types of pleasure. Yeah, we have to also understand that when we think about the word slave in this context, it is not the slave that we're so accustomed to knowing and hearing when we learn in school. Slave back in the day when they used the word slave is actually referring to higher labored servants. So they got paid. They were servants um, who got paid to, uh, to serve the preacher. 
So when we hear the word slave is not actually what we think it means, but it actually just means hired workers or hired servants. But let's continue in verse 7. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. So in those days, that would probably be equivalent to your Lamborghini, your Benz, your Bentley, your Ferrari. And he actually had plenty of them. So much so that no one before him in Jerusalem can compare to what he has. I mean, he said it. He's not just saying that I have all of this compared to everyone now, but I have more than everyone, anyone now and also before me. And this just kind of shows you how big and wealthy he was. And it continues, it continues on in verse 8 talking about his wealth. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. I mean, he had all the sorts of jewelry, the ones that are so exclusive that only royalty and the elite can possess. I mean, he had all different kinds of silver and gold and diamonds that anyone could have and ever want. He also had singers in his possession. I mean, I know for many of us, we enjoy music. So imagine this. He doesn't need to go to a concert. The concert comes to him. I mean, he ha also had singers, and he also owns the music industry. He can listen to whatever he wants and whenever he wants. I mean, he doesn't even need to download music like we have to do on our iPhones or our computers. If he wants to listen to a very specific song by the original band, he can, he can listen to it live every single time. This is the type of possession and authority that he had. Not only does he have music in the palm of his hands, but he has many concubines, many of them. Uh, he has concubines to satisfy and find pleasure in sexual lust and activity. I remember the preacher is either Solomon or a writer from Solomon's perspective. So look, let's look at 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3. This is Solomon. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. 300. I mean, you thought Dan Blitzerin on social media was living the bachelor life. You thought the Playboy lifestyle originated from Hugh Hefner. Friends, it's not. It started a long time ago, and their lives are nothing compared to the preacher. I mean, he had mansions. He had multiple of them. I mean, he had all the concubines he wanted, and he had sexual parties flowing with wine. He had all kinds of fine food, all different types of fruit. He had servants serving him all kinds of things. I mean, he had all the gold and silver, and he prided himself with so much herds and great possessions. I mean, looking at his vineyards, looking at the houses, looking at all the projects that he has done. Then he says in verse 9 and 10, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. And I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this is my reward for all my toil. I mean, he had the means, he had the authority, and he had all the opportunity to do everything that his heart ever desired. Everything. 
I mean, he was the ultimate hobbyist. Um, he did everything to the extreme. He was a purist in everything that he did. I mean, he was all in when it, come, when it came to indulging pleasure to its maximum. In Rolling Stone magazine, Brad Pitt, a successful actor, says something very similar. Hear what Brad Pitt has to say. Man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us. The car, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? If you ask me, I say toss all this. We've got to find something else. Because all I know is that at this point in time, we are heading for a dead end. A numbing of the soul. A complete atrophy of the spiritual being. And I don't want that. I don't have those answers yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in it, and I'm telling you that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything. I know. But I'm telling you, once you got everything, then you're just left with yourself. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It doesn't help you sleep any better, and you don't wake up any better because of it. That's not the answer. I'm not for the preacher or even Brad Pitt. But if hearing from a secular person does not mean anything or legitimate, hear the words of the Christian thinker C.S. Lewis. No matter how hard I try through pleasure to forget the fact I had nothing to live for and nothing means anything, it broke through. And this is a very similar message that C.S. Lewis is saying compared to Brad Pitt. What C.S. Lewis is saying is that he wants to numb himself and he wants to believe that the pleasure is all there is to it. But no matter how hard he tries to numb himself with pleasure, there's this aching, knowing and understanding and feeling that that isn't it. I mean, he broke through. So what the preacher has experienced is actually nothing unique just to him because many of you, to a certain degree, can empathize with him. Because you yourself are either starting or in the middle of the journey in finding your purpose and pleasure in life. But the difference between the preacher and you is that he went to the end of the tunnel in which you think there is light, but he's telling you that it is a dead end. Look at verse 1 in the latter part of verse 3. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. The preacher did all this to test pleasure, if, if pleasure is the meaning of life. And he did all for the sake of understanding the children of man, people, humanity, for us, if pleasure is the meaning of life. He tested it on himself and what was the result? He says in the beginning of the passage and, and at the end, what does he say? But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? Then I considered all that my hands had done, 
and the toil I had expanded in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So the result was vanity. It was vapor. It was no use. It was a dead end. And it's madness to think pleasure is the meaning of life. And this is what the preacher is talking about. And what I really appreciate is the preacher is so very honest and transparent about his experience and pleasure. He's not sugarcoating it. He's really telling it how it is. Because even, because even he is the first one to admit to you that you can find pleasures from this world. I mean, he experienced it. Compare your life resume compared to the preacher's life resume. I mean, he did everything. He built many vineyards. He had not one house or a beach house. He had many houses. He had servants. He had everything that uh, he had everything in the palm of his hand. He totally understands that the reward for all of his toil was pleasure. But the pleasure from this world is an earthly pleasure. It's temporary. It's not fulfilling. And at the end, you will feel more emptier than you were before. You know, I'd like to ask you a question this morning. Why are people so dissatisfied? Why are people so discontent? And what do you find pleasure in? I don't know if you ever pondered these questions. Um, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist or someone with a PhD to look within our community or to look at the world to see that there is a lot of discontentment, especially within ourselves. I mean, perhaps you're a student. Um, you're looking for it in your studies. Man, if I just get that 4.0 GPA, or I can get into that college that I always wanted to go to, uh, the master's or doctorate program that I've always dreamed of. Or maybe you're a parent. You're a parent in this room, and you're looking for it in your kids. If my child or children turns out to be what I've always dreamed of, then becoming, then my purpose has been fulfilled, and I find pleasure in it. Or maybe it's work. For some of you, you really want to get that job or you want that promotion. You know what? That will give me a sense of purpose and pleasure. Or perhaps for some of us is riches. Man, if I win that lotto, then I can have and buy all the pleasures that I want. Maybe fame and glory. I can become that social media influencer or be relevant and known in society. I can have my name and face on the billboards, on advertisement, on television. I'll be relevant. Then I'll find a sense of purpose or pleasure. Or maybe for some of us is looking for that significant other or that significant other that you are with. My purpose and pleasure in life is just to be with them and to receive everything that I can from them. If I have that, I will have pleasure. Or maybe, for some of us, it's just ordinary comforts. As long as I can live the way I'm living now, every day, I'm totally fine with that. That's what brings me pleasure. You see, if you look at ancient literature, you'll see this pursuit of pleasure and gain of the world is something that has been pursued by humanity ever since the day of the fall of the garden in Eden. And they look for it in the exact same places over and over and over again, and they never learn. I mean, humanity has not been that creative. We've been doing the same thing over and over again. It just looks different. 
They never learn. We never learn. You're never going to find it in the world because, friends, the world does not offer it. And that is what the preacher is telling us this morning. That is why he went through his hypothesis and tested to see if this is the meaning of life. He did it to the fullest, and this is what he's telling us. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasure satisfies it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Friends, you were meant for something bigger and greater than to indulge in earthly pleasures. That is what C.S. Lewis is telling us. That we are meant for something far bigger and greater than to indulge in earthly pleasures. The pleasures on earth is not a means to an end. It's pointing us to something far greater. Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, you will never find the eternal pleasure that you are looking for in any way. The things of this world, when we indulge in it, we're just going to find emptiness and be more emptier than we were before. But in Christ, you have an eternal pleasure that is everlasting and eternal. You see, pleasure cannot be found under the sun but only beyond the Son, the Son of God. You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, this is what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor dust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. What is Jesus saying? None of the pleasures of this world can bring beyond this world, but eternal things you can. And that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Because friends, Jesus Christ has made this possible, for he earns the eternal things for us in which we can never we, which we, in which we can never do. Why? Because of our sin. I mean, we can never achieve these things through our own efforts, but we only receive these eternal things through Christ. And that is inheriting eternal life, but better yet, spending time with God forever in paradise. I mean, as I shared to you guys to find pleasure is beyond the sun, is in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. If we were to leave the room right now, for some of us, we're probably wondering, what does it mean to find pleasure in the Son of God? I mean, what does it mean to find pleasure in Christ? Well, we have to understand that the definition of pleasure is beauty. And something is beautiful rather than instrumental. And something is beautiful when you just delight in it just for itself, just in itself. You see, if you study art because you have to get an A in the class, and as soon as the class is over, you never go see art. That's fine. That's totally fine. That just means art was just instrumental and not beautiful. But 
after getting an A in the class, if you go see art when you didn't have to, when it doesn't get you anywhere in life, matter of fact, it costs you money to go see it. That's beautiful, and that's not instrumental. I share this because some of you this morning find God instrumental. Why? Because he's not your primary pleasure in life. He's your secondary, your third. Some of you find it hard to find pleasure in him. Why? It's because you find other things far more beautiful than him. You see, finding pleasure in other things is not a superficial issue, but it is a spiritual issue. And we need to realize that. Because if we don't, just like if there is a weed and you're trying to take it out, you will never be able to uproot it. So then, what does it mean for God to be beautiful? You see, something is beautiful rather than instrumental when you can find pleasure just because you can delight in it, just because you can see it, just to let it be there and just to put it on our eyes and our, on our hearts. That is when something is beautiful. To find pleasure in the Son of God is to gaze upon the beauty of the Son of God. If you're exploring Christianity today, um, if you're not a Christian, or if you're not even sure if you're a Christian, this is what it means to believe. Gaze upon Christ and to believe what He has done for you on the cross. That He died on the cross for your sins, so that through His death and resurrection, you get to be with God forever in heaven. For some of you who are a Christian, your problem is that you haven't been gazing upon Christ. And that's why you, f you find yourself seeking pleasures and purposes on other things and finding it more beautiful than Christ. And brothers and sisters, it's the same answer, same solution. Gaze upon Christ. Gaze upon the beauty of the Son of God. The only way you will grow in pleasure in God is when you find Him more and more and more beautiful. Only looking at the work that Christ has done on the cross for you. So friends, remember, it's not just having a general knowledge of Him and trying harder, but the aim and goal is experiencing of His beauty. So often, many times, I hear the word, I got to try harder. I got to be a better Christian. I got to be better at this. But friends, it's not, you need, you need to have a general knowledge and you do need to try hard. But the aim is experiencing of his beauty. Remember, pleasure cannot be found under the sun, but only beyond the sun, the son of God, Jesus Christ. So let us remember to constantly pursue Christ, experiencing of his beauty, and a pleasure that is everlasting and eternal. Let me pray for us.